Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper, and TireRack.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. And for the 300th time, thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to a very special MotorWeek podcast, number 300 it is. And around our table in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters for this momentous day, we have Greg Carlos, Jessica Ray, and Kyle Scanlon. And we're going to take a look back at the last 15 years of MotorWeek podcast as we celebrate that 300 mark. But we're not just going to be reminiscing. We'll also talk about BMW's flashy new electric flagship, the i7, and the first all-electric from Lexus, the RZ. We're eventually going to also look into our crystal headlight and make some uh, predictions about the future and see if we can do any better this next time than we did in the last couple. Anyway, uh, before we get to our look back, let's do look at that BMW i7. And Greg Carlos, why don't you take the lead and tell us what it is and um, what we thought of it. Yeah, more like a crystal uh, shifter or no kidding, I, no I, kidding. I drive selector that BMW yeah. likes to do, which I mean, uh, I hate to lead off on a negative, but I will say that driving with those crystals in the car. And this is trim on the interior. Yeah, now. so uh, the iDrive, if you're unfamiliar with BMW, when, uh, to use the menu system, uh, that lower controller, basically a big knob to get through the, the large infotainment screen. Well, now they use like a crystal, uh, which looks awesome. Uh, until it's winter time and the sun is coming in at a certain yeah. angle yeah. and you happen to be at a drag strip and it's hitting you in the face all day long <laughs> the glare yes. you've been speaking to my the... my wife i think yeah <laughs> but a uh the i7 which is the Beyond all electric that. yeah the 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 all electric uh version of BMW's flagship 7 series um is very much a, still a flagship. Yeah, uh, I thought so too. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, this would compete against, you know, Mercedes-Benz EQS, you know, which is their version, the electric version mm -hmm. of their S-Class. So you, you get the idea here. Anything with an I in front of it with BMW means electric. And what we have here is an all-electric 7 Series. And uh, it is as luxurious <laughs> as BMW luxury gets. And specifically yeah. speaking from the rear seats, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and jump into the whole. I mean, they were like a limousine. Yeah. I mean, they really yeah. were. They, they were an upgrade. The executive seats are like seven or eight grand or something yeah. like that. They they fold every which way. Or not fold. They they tilt. They Almost move. Like a lay flat in the right passenger. Yeah. Right yeah. Right passenger. And there's a theater screen. And I don't mean just a television screen. No, it's I a mean theater screen. A literal theater screen that drops down from the roof. <laughs> And it is basically as wide as the car. Yep. And it's an 8K screen where when you go into theater mode, there's an actual theater mode. We'll put up the rear shades so yeah. the limits so light people, coming in. And yep. so people behind you won't get distracted. Yeah. yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. being true. at an IMAX movie theater because even you even have sound. like the sound, the sound that comes, comes in. in. Yeah. It goes like a building. Yeah. <laughs> Was that THX that did yeah, that back yeah, in the day? Yeah, yeah, it's very similar. To that. Uh, but I also did drive the car. <laughs> I didn't just sit in, in the back seat. And uh, I like the i4, uh, which is, again, the all-electric version of the 4 Series like this to me was a seven series yeah. like, i didn't notice anything different about it other than the fact that it doesn't have an engine 
I thought it felt heavier, but not necessarily in a bad way. I mean, you've got all that battery anchoring you down, and I was expecting it to not be as responsive, but it was. Yeah, I think, you know, in this case, I would say heavier feel is maybe a better thing well, for, for such a, a flagship. Big, yeah, yeah um, but on the track, it was actually super uh, nimble. I mean, don't get me wrong, it still rolls a lot, uh, but, I mean, it, it handles better than a large luxury SUV, or uh, it's not an SUV, it's about as big as an SUV, uh, a large luxury sedan uh, should. Uh, we had winter tires, so it's hard to say exactly how it would handle with maybe some better rubber on there, more suited for performance duties. The, the, the first thing I noticed was uh, in the handling test was its rear wheel steering capability is just insane these days. I mean, that back end is moving around so much. Uh, but then with the acceleration, which... Uh, electric vehicles that's the exciting part uh, this was i would say short of exciting but still exhilarating if, if that's the the differentiation i can make uh because it was quick off the line but it wasn't like uh, it didn't throw you back in your seat yeah you know it was like was it, it like a rocket had that jolt that the evs right, usually I, have mm -hmm. yeah exactly it wasn't like i mean to use an overused word uh ludicrous like tesla uses yeah. it yeah. certainly <laughs> wasn't in that category but it's still quick um and just just polished it's so just zero to 60 zero to 60 was low fours um <laughs> that's, that's fast that big. i cannot believe that we're talking about something in the low four zero to 60 is being not necessarily like exhilarating at this point yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anybody else uh, have some comments uh, i thought it was uh, a totally enjoyable big car to drive uh I'm and felt different than the EQS. And the door. Somebody talk about the doors. Oh, oh the yes. doors. So, yes, the doors. They're um, they're all power doors. So that kind of drove me a little crazy. Which you can operate with voice commands. Yes, you can operate with voice commands, and I think it also like you can do it like wherever you are sitting in the car, if I'm not mistaken. But I could be wrong. But yeah, no, you you basically can press a button on the infotainment that'll just open any door. Mm -hmm. Um. And it's, I mean, Did you notice how if you park next to someone, they'll open, but just so far, they actually they don't, they don't hit, they won't. There hit is the other an vehicle. insane amount of sensors yeah. that you yeah. can there see at the bottom sensors. on the side. So, like, if, if you do push the button and you're standing there, it'll pop open, but it'll wait till you get out of the way for it to fully open. Mm -hmm. We've They're seen, heavy. we've seen these self opening and closing doors on other things, notably, I think, Rolls Royce and, and maybe even Bentley. Bentley. Genesis. But in the Genesis, Genesis, Genesis right. was the last one. This just worked better. Mm -hmm. yeah. Agreed. I agree 100%. It definitely took. I know, I, know that, oh, sorry, I know there's another manufacturer that did it, but as the driver, one of the things I liked is when you get in the car, when you step on the brake, it closes the door automatically. Oh, I don't know yeah. if you picked that up on that. That did too, that. I think. Yeah. No, yeah, the BMW did. did it, I'm saying, yeah. I forget which other one that we've been in that had that feature in it, but uh, it took me a few times in the previous vehicle that I can't remember which one it was where I kept getting in the car and the door kept closing without me hitting the button I'm kind of looking around going what the heck's going on how does it even know I'm here and then once I put it together then you know put your foot on the brake it closes the door I was like okay but it makes a lot of sense and I, I like it as a feature I think it just adds like a little extra special than having to press a button we didn't talk about one thing uh, that we need to cover and that's range practicality is this a long distance vehicle or is this another one basically for weekly commutes no, this one had a oh, uh, around three hundred. Three hundred eight is the official okay. rating. Um, and I thought it dropped very slowly. Yeah, I, I noticed that in the uh, the iX we had too. I felt like the battery technology was actually really good and, yeah. and gave you very um, 
quick and like up to date. Yes, it was information const- it would, on like, what constantly the state change. is. Yeah. yeah, and it was always it always ended up so it gives you a range of like here's the least amount of miles you can go and here's the most amount and it ended up always being closer to the most like the the the, the, the ambitious total. I plugged it in at home on my level two charger and it must really suck in the power because my, my level two charger made chain, made noises I've never heard it make before. So, so it must've been really pulling the power. In. Yeah, it, it did charge on a fast charger. I was at 150 kilowatt and I saw like 131. So yeah. I was there for maybe like a half hour and got close to a hundred miles. That's pretty quick. All right, let's get back to uh, what we were talking about as uh, our trip down memory lane. And for those of you that um, have not been around listening to our podcast since the beginning, I should say the first podcast we aired right here in this same studio on September 3rd, 2008. Uh, in the studio with me that day were Brian Roberts from our staff, Yolanda Vasquez, who was a feature reporter for us that time, Brian Robinson, who's still writing our road test, Dave Durso, who was a writer, and we were in season 28 at that time, and we concentrated on fuel economy, which is almost the same thing we do today. But get this, folks, September 2008, gasoline nationwide, average of 3.75 a gallon. It had been over $4 in the summer of 2008. Here we are 15 years later, and basically gas is cheaper today than it was then. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of really Crazy. weird because before you include inflation and yeah. that's the what it was at the time yes. 375 so oh. now you're talking well over four and you, probably in real terms today that would be like a buck 75 yeah. something like that um then we fast forward to our 100th anniversary which was actually uh what six years later mm-hmm. july 25th 2014 uh we had uh, bob mixter who was uh, basically the the fellow that created uh, the idea for these podcasts here from MPT. And we also had our PR manager Michelle Parker. I was say, Bob time. at the time was doing uh, post production. He was doing all of our post production editing. What you mm-hmm. saw on the screen was Bob's handiwork. Still here at MPT. Mm-hmm. Uh, it featured Brian Robinson again, Ben Davis, no relation to me, Greg Carlos, <laughs> Patrick Lucas. Uh, oh, pa- we Patrick had, texted me today out of yeah. nowhere. Patrick was was uh, actually before uh, Jessica Ray got here. Patrick was the first one that really got us into social media. Mm-hmm. And Patrick is now a lawyer. He is a lawyer <laughs> in Chicago. In Chicago, he, very. He has a real job now. He has a real job. <laughs> anyway, you were saying Patrick. Yeah, I don't you. know. So I saw the rundown for this podcast, and I was thinking about because we used to share an office. Uh, we came in around the same time. And I just, I was thinking about it. And out of nowhere, he texted me today. Just a weird, like, universe kind of thing. is that funny? Yeah, a weird kind of connection there. So that was cool. But Patrick's job was to make Motor Week more visible on social media, which is now, of course, actually Jessica Ray's job. It's interesting. I think it's worth stopping here and mm-hmm. thinking for a moment. That was 2014. Mm-hmm. Here we are in 2023. Social media then was still relatively new as far as its impact. Mm-hmm. Yes. How would you characterize it today? It's like vital. It's I everything. Mean, it it uh, yeah. is so vital. I, I don't know that we could be what we are without social media. You couldn't. You couldn't. We couldn't be doing this. It's shaped the industry and in auto show. It's had an effect on auto shows. At this yeah. time, we probably weren't 
concerned about whether or not we would be going to auto shows the next year. We were yeah, just yeah. talking about in those days. I had had a concept for, for years even before this about doing you know, more and more stuff online, even doing complete episodes online. And at that point in 2008, we were just talking about doing our first drives mm-hmm. online. Our, our, you know, as soon as we get back from a press preview, putting material up. Well, now, of course, everybody's doing mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, too, because, you know, around the time that we aired this first podcast was about the same time that our YouTube channel actually started. Correct. Our first videos were in that September 2008 um, time frame. I think one of our first videos on YouTube is the 2008 Honda Accord road mm-hmm. test. Um, so, like, this, uh, it's kind of funny how, like, this podcast and kind of um, is part of our overall launch of social media and our digital presence. To give you an idea, this is a tangent. That was my first semester of college, and I had to do... You had to make me feel even older than I normally feel. Well, I'm making myself feel old. I'm not going to tell you what I was doing, John, in 2008. So I was a student of uh, Jonathan Slade, who works here Uh at MPT, and I had to make a uh, basically what came down to like a documentary type thing, yeah. uh, a video, a small video that I had to. The assignment really was getting it out into the world. Mm. And YouTube was like still it was a thing, mm-hmm. obviously, but it wasn't like the main way to get mm-hmm. content out. So instead of just like what it, now I would do is I would upload it to YouTube and assignment done. Like I actually went to the college's television station, the closed circuit television sure. station, and like talk to the TV club and gave them a physical disc right. that they put in and put it out over the airwaves. And I'm just thinking like, you know, 20 years later or close to 20 years later, uh, yeah, like how easy it would have been to just do that assignment instead of like now I had to go talk to people I didn't know and I'm this like young freshman and didn't know how to do anything. But yeah, so that was, the, I'm gonna end the tangent there, but it's just crazy. Well, you know, while we're sitting here, Kyle is a, a longtime television veteran too, and you've worked on a lot of other series besides yes. Motor Week. Have you seen social media shape them like it has us? Not in the same respect, because it was, you know, some of my time in traditional television was, there wasn't the idea that TV was dying. The way that there is today you know yeah. people are saying that tv is going to kind of go by the wayside and everything's going to be streaming Except what or... you see on a screen is tv yes folks. yes but yeah. not not changing the channel it just doesn't right. come to like, you on a tv and yeah it, and you or, can stream it, it there's nothing, yeah it's, it's still it's not necessarily it's linear not television the traditional same. Right. traditional, yeah, right. traditional television where you know check us out on channel five right as opposed to just find our channel yeah. on youtube or go through whatever widget or app you have on your roku tv right. or Amazon Fire Stick or something like that to find what you need to find. But um, I mean, back then, the the internet and the social media presence, you know, I started working in television 15, 16 years ago. So, you know, we're going back to the 20, 2010, right, I think was, right. or no, not 2010. 08 would have been probably yeah, my first exactly. job in television. When we started doing the podcast. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, you know, things have changed. But definitely. TV today and Motor Week today and automotive video today mm-hmm. would not be even close to what it is if no. it had wasn't for social media. No, it definitely wouldn't. And there's so much information out there that you can get now. Mm-hmm. Not as good as ours, of course. <laughs> no. But no. there's a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. um, one thing before we get questions all the time, our 100th anniversary show in 14, you could still tune us in, tune us in. And listen to the bell 
Oh, Somebody bell. wrote wrong. Where's the bell? Where is the bell? the bell? Is. I don't know where the bell went. But well, where's I the bell? So explain well, what the bell. Was. I don't really she doesn't know, even know what the oh, bell okay. was because she's not a she's when, not a Motor Week historian. To, I heard a like speed round or whatever. The, when we would lightning. get to the lightning, lightning round, round, everybody was supposed to basically limit their comments to a minute, <laughs> and we'd have the bell, which I think Michelle Parker actually mm-hmm. first uh, our uh, our former PR manager had brought into the studio. So we have some way of politely but also fun to stop people and of course nobody ever paid any attention to the bell they just kept talking which is why we eventually retired it was definitely here four years ago yeah that's when i started the and the bell was here when i the first couple podcasts that i did so i think we, how many times it just sat at I the middle of the table <laughs> and nobody touched yeah. it yeah i don't remember being rung very often but it was definitely here and it got moved around right, i guess i have to find the bell now <laughs> um, somewhere okay all right let's fast forward to our 200th anniversary show which was march 8th 2019, that doesn't seem very long ago. So basically a, a year before the world went uh, dark with COVID. Yeah. Um, uh, Jim Bigwood, our audio engineer at the time and long time, did more podcasts than anyone else. He made a, a little cameo appearance. We had Joe Ligo, who is our automotive historian and still does that from time to time. Brian Robinson again. Greg was, of course, here as well. And I have to tell you, the reason we brought this up is I made a number of predictions on that particular podcast, and I'm only doing about one for three as part (laughs) of accuracy. I apparently worried at the time that the American appetite for electric vehicles would be spoiled from lack of infrastructure and poor resale value, and I believe that there would be more hybrids as they made more sense. Of course, now, in fairness, I didn't know about covid and I didn't know. I didn't anticipate that they every government in the world would try to legislate uh, everything uh, in and out of uh, existence. I don't think that you're like wrong completely on that, though. Well, let's say I still think they hybrid, plug-in hybrids make more sense, or hybrids in general. But it doesn't seem like anybody's listening. I mean, but I still think like people are still turned off by lack of infrastructure. Yeah. I think resale value is a concern to them. I think those are still. I think there's some validity to that statement. That you know. what do you think today? All right. What what you, do you still think that do you still think there's a chance that the public is going that this current little fascination, which let's put it in perspective, we're talking about less than ten percent of the market so far. And there's some stories out there today about how EV sales around the world, not in the U.S., collapsed in January because of the, a lot of, ins- of, of the financial incentives went away. Mm-hmm. But do you think that the public could still get turned off by EVs and this could get to 10, 15, 20 percent of the market and stop? And stop? I think potentially um, with use case, I, I think the, I mean, I feel like we hear it all the time. Lack of infrastructure is something that people worry about. And also the resale value aspect of it, of it too. I think we're even seeing that on the used market, even though EVs, new EVs are harder to come by just pr- due to pr- production constraints. Mm-hmm. But I don't see people jumping, um, or really even being like, oh, maybe I can get an EV for cheap use I, I don't know i feel like it's not there the market quite yet there's plenty of them out there the federal laws that put incentives for buying a used ev have very low income thresholds so you cannot a lot of people that would like to buy a used ev won't qualify right they make too much money right 
Um, there was one prediction on that show that I made that I did get completely wrong. I don't think anybody could argue. I did not think that SUVs would take over the market. Well, this was a prediction <laughs> that you, like, I think at the time were also being like, you had made this prediction 10 years prior as well. And you're like, I didn't think it would happen. But around this time, yeah. you have to keep in mind, like, this is truly when cars in the U.S. were were dead. Yeah, sixty they, they were was no it sixty five percent of the market are SUVs? I think something like that, maybe even more. It's got to be sixty five. The rest are pickup trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's worth asking the question: Do you ever, you know, what goes around comes around? Different generations. Do you see sedans or hatchbacks ever becoming popular again? Do you think that will come back? Mainstream popularity. Yeah. I don't know. With I the think exception of yeah, a few people. Of the golf. <laughs> well, with the exception of a few people like you hatchbacks know, Honda are extremely and, popular. They just call them comp or subcompact SUVs. <laughs> yeah. well, there you go. Five doors. You know, they call them they call them Toyotas. SUVs. They put all wheel drive on them, or I sometimes don't even do that. I would have never guessed that Toyota would have come out with the GR Corolla, and it would have right. been yeah. as widely accepted as it has been. I mean, there's still an appetite for cars, but it's now small. Yeah, I mean, specialized. Yeah, I mean, like. It's hard for me to count them out completely because, like, they just keep coming out. They keep yeah. coming out with and, cool and ones, and people keep buying them just enough to keep to get the next one out. Yeah. And it's not like if you were, uh, you know, driving on the highway that you don't see cars. You do. Like, people are still oh, buying yeah. them. You look at any parking lot, and there are plenty of cars. And it's the value. It's, it's value now. If you want a modern vehicle with all the latest safety features and all of that— you can put yourself in a four or five door car for a whole lot less money than you can the same size SUV. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean that's real, truly where the bargains are, and yeah. they have more space than ever before. Whether that's like interior space and cargo room. Yeah. Um, and and you like take a look at the new Honda Accord. I mean that's that's a very very and it's a hybrid. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. The one thing I think I did get right, I said the biggest advancement in the previous 10 years had been in safety systems, but uh, I don't think even I realized that uh, in just uh, another five years how far that needle would have moved further. I mean, we really, with all the semi-autonomous features on vehicles today, cars have never even approached being as safe as they are today. That stuff probably gets glossed over now because there's such an emphasis on yeah. the drive, the electric drivetrain. Yeah. Like people are forgetting that, uh, well, rear cameras are ubiquitous. It's mandated. Um, right. Basically, blind spot monitoring is, is working its way to almost standard. Mm-hmm. It is. 360 cameras where you see directly down on top of the car or in most cars now. Right, yeah. I mean, like we we're like forgetting all this automatic stuff. braking, this automatic braking that really works. Yes. And, and again, like back to like they don't just just exist. They're in like the majority of cars that are being sold. Yeah, the government uh, uh, regulations requiring certain safety features can't even begin to keep up with what the industry's doing. Rear cross traffic yeah, alert. Yeah, that's a yeah. huge. That's a huge. I love that. I, that is I a love great that. We, I, I, it's probably something we've debated during uh, some of these podcasts. But how how quickly they've become just part of a car now. Like rear cross traffic alert to me is must be stand. Like you yeah, have yeah, to have that. Just like the be. backup camera, the, like all of these things. Like I I've been living with them for so long. It's hard for me to imagine living without them. 
Yeah. You know and what I, I mean? I be reminded it, every day I get my old truck to go home <laughs> <laughs> that I don't have them. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's all like, I, I mean, sure, I would make it by, but it is very, it's so much safer now to drive oh, a car. And, and the strides, too. I do want to mention uh, that the, um, uh, uh, crash testing oh. that they we are constantly seeing them having to increase the um weights of some of these barriers because all of the cars are passing yeah. so and granted cars are getting bigger and um but it's almost like not that it's too easy but they're meeting these standards and we need to make it tougher and they just keep making it tougher it's interesting the uh, the insurance institute for highway safety what who looks at crash data before they make any changes in their particular standards they're finding almost like not loopholes but just they're fine-tuning their crash data mm -hmm. so that they can continue to make vehicles safer and they're going after areas they never went after before like headlights yeah mm -hmm. and I yes just, that's huge you know, i just saw today yeah. uh, i caught the tail end of a story um they did mid-size SUV small overlap, which is a relatively mm -hmm. new one. That was basically the yeah. same thing they were trying to get manufacturers right. to pay attention to it. And now it's a rear seat passengers that they're looking at yes, in that test. Yes, rear seat passengers. Yeah. They said I think only three mid-sizes yeah. in that test got uh, No one paid attention good, to it before, yeah. but they will now. And that kind of brings us to where we are today. So let me uh, give you a couple of statistics. They're almost unbelievable. <laughs> The average new car cost today, according to Kelly Blue Book, is $48,763. Oh, that should be transaction. That's transaction price, which in this day and age, that could mean that there's some pack on top of it, extra money or not, that the, the dealers have put on top of their popular models. The average monthly car payment is $777 a month. That's average. That's average. What do you all do for work? <laughs> exactly. 15% of car payments are more than $1,000 a month. And yet here we are, the average price of gas, $3.47 a gallon, diesel $4.34. Remember, in 2008, when we went on the air, it was $3.75 a gallon for gas. And the ha average, highest average price of gas uh, in recent memory was last June at $5. Well, that's and ever. So, that was that's ever. The that was the all-time high. That's right, that's because we were only at $4 high. peak in 2008, so we're $5,000 in 2022 $5, in June. $5, yeah. $5 rather. Yeah. Uh, 5000 who knows? That could be coming <laughs> down the pipe. Not. <laughs> Do those numbers surprise you? Are they surprising? Yes. I, I don't think they, when you look at Do them. Do $100,000 pickup trucks surprise you? When, we, when you look at them in a historical context, yes. But we've been, I mean, I think really post-pandemic, it's just out of control. So it's not, we, we've been experiencing this for like over two years now, yeah. some of these car prices. Um, but in the context, of, you know, looking back from 2008, if you told yourself that you would be driving a hundred thousand dollar pickup in 2008, what would you have? Thought? I would have thought that was just stupid. Right. Yeah. Besides crazy, just yeah. stupid. Right. I wonder though if the high interest rates are going to start putting a damper on something. I mean, obviously people won't be able to qualify for some of the loans that they probably could have gotten a year or two years ago. But I guess we don't know yet. It's hard to tell because we also still have a supply issue. Yeah. So it's like traditionally, I guess, 
high interest rates would affect that. This but. is this is probably with a longer average term than it was. Oh, seven oh, and eight years. Yeah, I'm sure it was closer months? to five. Yeah, that they offer. I mean. <laughs> I can't even imagine. And then it makes yeah. you even sadder when you realize wages haven't kept up with yeah. 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 It's just. But that's a, that's for another that's podcast. That's for another podcast. <laughs> podcast. Okay. Yeah. We are going to do one more on this look back. We've looked back and we're going to look forward at the end of the show, but we do want to pause in this reminiscent and, and give what most folks actually tune into our podcast for. And that is a look at some of the most recent vehicles we've. Uh, tested here on the show. We did the BMW i7. Now we're going to do another electric. And this is momentous because it is the Lexus brand first electric. It's the RZ. And Kyle is fresh back from um, having a chance to drive it and check it out. We've all seen it. But the question is, is it still a Lexus? Take it away. Uh, okay, so two weeks ago, I was invited out to Encinitas, California, where we got to the first drive experience of the 23RZ450E. Now, John, you might be really surprised to hear this from me. I really like it, and it's an all-electric vehicle. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard you say that I don't that think anyone's ever heard me before. say it. Well, no, I do like Lexus, the LC500, yeah. fantastic vehicle. Love that car. This is a little different. It's much that. different than that, <laughs> yes. It's, but, um, you know, I am... Kind He's of, an anti, kind I wouldn't of the say anti, you're anti-EV. I'm not EV, anti-EV, but I definitely have the skeptic? biggest... Yeah, biggest skeptic probably right. in the crew. Yeah. And um, I absolutely loved this car. Really? I did. The, you look at it, and it looks... It's Lexus. It fits right in with the family. The compact, you know, um, NX, uh, very similar. Uh, I remember they did kind of where they laid the cars on top of each other between the RZ, the NX, and one of the other models... RX? And the RX, I believe, and just to show the, the size right. differences of them. And they're all very similar in size. Wheelbase is different um, by a couple inches on two of the models. I know the RZ is just a little bit lower than the RX, I believe. But, but it fits with, with the NX. Does it fit within the compact class with the NX? Yeah, I believe it's okay. all, it, it's all, okay. all there in very similar size. We're within inches so, of each other. Were you this crazy about the Toyota BZ4X? Because no. it's a very similar It is chassis. a very same, same chassis. Platform. Yeah, same, same platform. Um, this has more power, definitely. I don't remember the numbers on the BZ4, but um, I remember it not being very quick at all. This has, the RZ has 308 horsepower with two motors, front and wheel, uh, front and rear system, or two motors, yeah, two motors, one in the front, one in the rear, all-wheel drive system. You can change them up so you only run on the rear to have to conserve your power, mm. which is an 80 kilowatt motor in the front. I believe is 150. Mm. Nope. Oh, yeah, you said 80 kilowatts. Sorry. Yeah, front is 150 kilowatt. The rear motor is 80 kilowatts, and together, producing that 308 horsepower, it actually does give you that nice jolt and kick if you put your foot down, which I really enjoyed. I mean, didn't um, they say the three, the zero to sixty was like under five seconds or five seconds which or makes something? It a lot Faster than uh, no, five seconds flat is five what they're saying for yeah. the performance right, but, on that. But cut to the chase. Yes. If you walk in, if you're interested in EVs, yes. but you're a Lexus owner, and you walk into the Lexus showroom, and they've got an RZ, what do you see, and do you feel at home, or do you think it's an alien? Nope, you're, it's, you definitely feel at home. Uh, you sit in the car, and you immediately know you're in a Lexus. It has 
it, it, like I say it in my video, which just went up on YouTube. Go check it out. Um, <laughs> I, they didn't go full spaceship, which is the, the only way I could really describe it when I was thinking about it. All these other manufacturers, their EVs are so f far and away from their normal models that you see it on the street and you immediately go, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so's EV. Whether, whether it be a BMW, whether it be Mercedes, Audi, they all look so much different than the rest of the models that they have in their lineup. And Lexus didn't go that route with it, which personally I really enjoy. You line it up with a bunch of other Lexus models, and other than it not having a grill and the aspects of that that come with a full EV vehicle, it looks extremely similar, and it just it's just part of the lineup, and it's not its own little project on the side. And I really appreciated that, and I thought I thought it looked great. It felt great. One of the really cool aspects is uh, there's no sunshade for the dual panoramic sunroof up top, which it, even with it being a smaller car, you get more headroom mm -hmm. because of that, and... In one of the trims, I believe it was luxury. There's a button at the top that you hit, and it will frost the glass. Yeah, they used oh, yeah. to over the that, top. We've seen that before, but they've That's never the, been very reliable. It was like electrochromic. It's in, it's yeah. in the Toyota, yeah. uh, you know, under the umbrella. The Mercedes had a couple it, yeah. for a yeah. while. But here, I gather, it worked well, and it was instantaneous. Yep, it worked well. It was instantaneous, you know, literally just like flicking on a light switch. Mm. But, um, I mean, it seems like they kind of hit their goal, Lexus, I which was really did. to be, they needed to make an EV that people who don't want to buy an EV are going to buy. Yeah, well, they've said they've, they're going to be all EV, you yeah, know, in not too many years. Eventually, I mean, they're basically looking at what Cadillac claims. I've forgotten, like but it's the same rough time frame as California's rules. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, definitely the, the story here with this is that they're going to be offering the steer-by-wire system. All right. Let's put yeah. this in context now. Yes. Steer-by-wire means that there's no physical You have two connection. wires. Yes. You, yep. You know. Yep. And just, just like a horse. It, you know, basically that's, right. that gets a lot of people anxious. It, it definitely gets people anxious that there's no mechanical physical, connection right. between what you're holding on to and what's turning the wheels. And... I mean, you know, on paper, it does sound scary because you wonder how many things could go wrong. And a lot of the things that could go wrong are probably things that most people can't really comprehend what would go wrong anyways because they're not the engineer that built this entire, you know, plat not platform, but system. System. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, I got a chance to drive the steer-by-wire. And this is going to be an option. It's and not here right it's, now. Yeah, it's not available yet, and it will be an option in the future. And one of the things that was really interesting about it is it's variable. The ratio of what you put in to the steering wheel, your input of turn, is not always going to be the same on how much the wheels turn. It depends on how fast you're going. Mm -hmm. So at a very slow speed, you turn the wheel over only 90 degrees or so, and you're doing a very quick U-turn, whereas if you're at 20 miles an hour, the same amount of input on the steering wheel is going to turn the car less, but it will feel... Like, it, it feels as a driver that you're turning the steering wheel the proper amount. Well, now, how they went through... But this is also with a steering wheel that looks more like an airplane yeah, yoke. yoke. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a flat yoke. top yeah, and bottom. There's no... It's not a, not a full steering wheel. You can't do hand over hand. There is no hand over hand. I mean, you could, but it'd be very awkward, and it wouldn't allow it anyways. But it was... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's such a unique experience. But... but did it take you any time to get used to it? Yeah. The first couple times you turn a little bit, you definitely... 
there's there's a, a whoops. Uh, you almost feel like you did something wrong because you'll put you know you'll put the input into the steering wheel as if it's a regular conventional steering wheel, and then the car just kind of will leap to whichever direction you're going at first. And you have to feel it out a little bit before. I mean, Lexus even had us go into a closed. Um, a closed parking lot right. with a coat with a bunch of different cones so you could actually just feel it. Just in case. They said, hey, how about we're going to put you in this parking we lot? We trust the system. We yes. just don't trust you. We, we'd it rather you hit like that's going to be something dealers are going to have to do. A I feel like they're going to have to as well. Don't drive near any Lexus dealers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, because if you're, if you're just pulling out of the lot with never having any experience at this, even just 20 miles an hour and under, you're likely to hit a curb. To be honest, to, to those uh, uh, folks out there who are Tesla fans and say the Tesla has already done a steering wheel that looks like a yoke on the um, Model S, th that's true. But they did not go and put this variable system in yes. there, and so theirs is actually—it's just a one-to-one. -one. It's just a one-to-one, -one, and mm -hmm. you still have to do hand over hand, which is why apparently they're taking mm -hmm. it out. Yeah, it doesn't work with yeah. the yoke. Like, yeah, those things they overlook. This yeah. is this <laughs> operates more like. An airplane. Yes. Now, I'm curious, though, since I haven't driven it myself, at higher speeds, is there more weight when you turn the wheel so you don't want to turn it as fast? I didn't get the opportunity to street drive it. I okay. only got just it. Just on the close Yeah, just course. on the closed course. So that'll be in the future when we hopefully it's get it. fascinating because this could be a... a Incredible change for the industry. I mean, I, it goes I say it in my soundbite on on the first drive, and I want to experience that either at our slalom course or on a real racetrack right. because it seems like it would be so much fun. Well, the wheel, like I saw some footage of like the wheel moving, and mm -hmm. it's so quick. Yeah, I've never seen a wheel turn that quick. Yeah, if you're just if you turn, yeah, you turn your hand well, like all the, a, the way over. Like the actual wheel. Yeah, the actual the wheel actual of the wheel car. Of yeah. the car. Like it's yeah, it's yeah, it's wild. Fascinating. Well, I think we're all, that's one vehicle when we get in here at the shop, we're all going to want to spend a lot of time at. Definitely. Let's go back and, and wrap up our, um, our reminiscing of, on this 300th podcast and make some, um, look ahead, some predictions. You know, where do you think we're going to be in five years when we do the 400th podcast or whatever? You know, what do you think that is the market today a good harbinger of the future? Uh, are EVs going to be where they, you know, at 30, 40 percent of the market where the governments would like us to be? Do you think uh, internal combustion vehicles are going to be basically passe? Fuel prices? What do you think? You, you folks are all a lot younger than I am. I'm going to put you on the spot. My bold prediction will be uh, I think that EVs, it's a given that they're going to increase in market share. But my bold prediction will be that another propulsion system will break in. Well, not break in, but grow bigger. And I think it's going to be hydrogen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think hydrogen. I think fuel cells. I think, I think it's always been right on the outside. They're still mostly in California, if not still totally in California, mm -hmm. the fueling stations. But it's hung around just long enough. And and I always go back to the statement from Honda at their Clarity event of they took it as like there's no silver bullet to the to uh, dealing with the whole uh, climate issue. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, like EVs are one prong, but hydrogen could very well be another. Like we can't just say it's put all of our eggs in one basket. And I think there's just enough momentum behind hydrogen still to kind of push it. 
Maybe it'll take something. Maybe another pandemic will push us into it. Maybe something will happen well, uh, mm-hmm. that will be like, oh, well, we, we, we need to rapidly shift and put more money into hydrogen. Whatever it is, I think that it will grow over the next decade. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be in a fuel cell. Hydrogen is a combustible fuel. Uh, BMW, for one, has been playing around with it since, I think, the 80s. And the commercial trucks are looking big time at using hydrogen both as fuel cells and as a combustible fuel. Interesting. So. I think, Greg, you make a great point, too, because we have to think, you know what else Like was only uh, in California? There were only charging stations in California? EVs. When they first were becoming mainstream in the 90s, when you could only lease an EV if you only if you lived in California, because that was the only place they had charging stations. So I think there's definitely some uh, some truth to that. Yeah, just a few years ago, we were talking about when an EV would come out, we'd be like, okay, well, where is it sold? Is it sold right. in the mm-hmm. rest of the country? Now it's just like everywhere. selling an EV. You sell it everywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk practical, though, for those of us who are driving internal combustion engine vehicles and plan to do those. Do you think price of gas is going to be, you know, crazy different than it is today? Now, of course, we don't know what world shocks could happen, but let's assume that we just go along merrily as we are now. Do you think we're looking at ten dollar gal- gallon gasoline, six dollar gallon? Do you think maybe the market's going to be? Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it was California. just I was just there. It was over five in places. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I don't think that in ten dollars a gallon. We would really have to be at like over 50% EVs by that time, maybe even more than that. So maybe there won't be that much demand for gasoline and gasoline prices could be even cheaper. Yeah, yeah, I guess it just depends. I mean, I, I can't see it being that expensive. I should say five years. Not I mean, years I know that like in, in um, like Europe, um, gas prices are all, have always been higher than they are but here. But it's mostly tax. But it's mostly tax. But, but um and like their diesel is cheaper than like our diesel and so i i don't know i just can't see it especially because evs unless unless everyone starts making $30,000 $30,000 evs within the next 10 years with the ability to charge them with yes. the ability to charge them quickly 15 minutes i just can't yeah. see the the demand for internal combustion engine and in and and used ones is still going to be there, um, so I can't see gas bolting from I think you're going to have a lot of old SUVs and pickup trucks running around for a long time. I mean, speaking, already seen it. speaking of that, body styles. Is it SUVs and pickup trucks from here on out? We've already pretty much mentioned we don't think cars are going to come back. Is there anything else in the wings, or like a resurgence of minivans, or can you think of anything? <laughs> Just if I have you, it, I have right, it here, on here, very Dad. good authority here, here that we go. will all be driving minivans in the next 10 years. <laughs> Everyone will want a minivan, either that or a Hummer EV. Well, <laughs> that, could, that could be a safe bet. I will make a prediction. I actually think that just like the um, – American public, when they found back in the 80s that uh, they couldn't buy as big a passenger car as they were used to, they started buying uh, SUVs, that if we see, because of fuel economy standards, the light truck and light car market moving uh, away from internal combustion and more to electric, that the heavy-duty market, the one-ton market, will see new entrants there in the SUV and pickup truck, and they may become very, very popular with internal combustion engines. 
I just think it's very difficult, if not impossible, for governments to force people into vehicles that they don't want. Yeah. Is that what yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Cars and especially in this purchase. Country. Yeah. It's yeah. a very personal purchase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody else got anything else they want to predict about the future before we yeah, wrap Kyle up? Yeah, Kyle got a prediction. No. No, no predictions. Oh, come on, Kyle. I do not have any predictions. Where do you think the uh, the overall automotive business uh, is headed for in the next five years? What about automotive television and media? Well, think you just say social media is going to continue to reign, or is I it, mean, yeah, is it going to get uh, burned out because? Uh, of, oh, I have something. Unless something. somehow the, I'll let him go. Unless somehow the internet explodes, which isn't going to happen. I I don't some see. Days I wouldn't mind it. Yeah, some days I I mean I I go full internet list, you know, or contactless days, but we're not getting into that. But <laughs> Jessica is our our internet guru. Well, where, where are we going? Well, so really, right now, short form media is huge, right? TikTok, mm-hmm. TikTok. Oh. Uh, Instagram Reels, um, YouTube Shorts. I will actually say this. We are not uh, allowed to use TikTok, Mm -hmm. so um, we're not using TikTok at this time. But we do have Instagram and Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts. But anyway, the problem with a lot of these that isn't necessarily an issue for us is that um, they can't be monetized or they're Mm -hmm. very difficult to monetize, Mm -hmm. much more difficult than um, a traditional YouTube, than YouTube or Facebook or Facebook. Right. Um, so right now we're seeing this huge, huge boom. But I talk to people all the time and other automotive journalists who are like, yeah, it's great. Um, it gets it gets our it. it gets our name out there, but we're not making any money out of it. Mm. And it's just more time that we're taking it, the cost effectiveness of it. Um, so I do. I don't know if I have like necessarily a prediction. Maybe um, I, I can definitely see that morphing in the future, um, hopefully in a way that people can monetize mm-hmm. it. Um, and and I actually do hope that the short form gets a little bit longer because I do feel medium like medium form. Let's yeah, find medium, medium form. Medium. I do because, because our attention spans. Any, you can't give give much information. No. You can make an impression, but you can't really. Yeah. You know, I mean, when it comes down to it, for us, if somebody like us, we still test cars, folks, and yeah. we want to yeah. get that information out. Yeah. Yeah, and some of that stuff in those videos is just so surface. It, yeah. It's, I don't know. People like it, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where that well, goes. Five years, we'll look back on this 300th podcast and we'll we'll get a gauge of whether our crystal ball efforts were any better now <laughs> than BMW mine were, basically. Yeah. Yeah, one that doesn't burn my hand in the summer. <laughs> Probably won't even be gear shifters. No. Just use my mind. Yes. So, oh, oh, t- oh. Tesla tried little... that, too. Yeah. Tesla tried like an intuitive uh, uh, shifter. You just brought up something. I want to ask your opinions before we uh, okay. BMW has made a prediction. That within five to ten years, screens will be obsolete. Cars will not have screens per se like we see now. It'll all be projected up on the windshield so you don't have to look away. Do you? Th- I don't know what you'll be touching. I guess I drive to control it. So basically, it. it's you just one gigantic heads-up display. Yeah. Uh, a yeah. Giga- do you yeah. think that's realistic? Personally, I turn off head up head up display on every car I get oh, into. I, like I can't stand display. it. I so the BMW. It's what they released at CES, right? They which did. was really incredible because it like projects all this stuff Everything. on the road for you, which I've seen in very like light situations. And Mercedes does that with their um, arrows. Level and so two. Forth. Well, they yeah. do it with their level two mm-hmm. system, and they put this little green bar on um, the car in front of you's bumper when you're doing um, uh, adaptive cruise, cruise control. Yeah. Okay. So like, 
if you can do that, you know, more sort of, I don't know. I, I think it's really cool. Do I think people will like take it in stride? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Dude, all I want is just to know where the hazard lights are. I True. swear to God. Yes. And, like, and every time I have to search around for them, just put them in one central place so I yep. know where it is. <laughs> and the automatic on off. I, I hate finding that. Button. Auto stop start. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah sorry. Auto yeah. stop start. Turn, I, I turn always off. turn that off in most or in most vehicles. I turn that off, and it's so hard to find. I will say, as a precursor to the heads up display thing with me turning them off, that's because I'm usually wearing sunglasses when I drive. My sunglasses oh, are all polarized. Yeah. Yeah. So you if you have it. polarized sunglasses, you can see it, or you can only kind of see it. And if you move your head a little bit, it'll like oh, kind of show interesting. up. And it becomes more of a distraction for me personally. So that's one of the reasons I turn it off. So if they can find a way to make heads-up display work with polarized glasses, manufacturers, um, let's do it. Because then I'd use it. Maybe you could just buy special glasses. Yeah. That oh my gosh. Well, they'll be happy to sell you. Happy to sell you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You did point. You did touch on one thing. If we had to take a poll today about the most hated new feature on vehicles, it would probably be automatic stop start. Yep. Well, he was just on a Subaru event, yeah. and the, yes. those things, the auto stop start on those are at some of the roughest. Nope. I think I've nope. ever they, they put it. It is forever on the screen now, on the you infotainment. Oh, it's, you don't have button? to search for it. Nope. It's right. Out, it's right there on the so infotainment screen. The so they listen to the bike because they even said it in the presentation. I they swear it could like, wake a baby that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Over the Edge reporter Greg Carlos, digital producer Jessica Ray, and our road test producer Kyle Scanlon. Thank you all for uh, basically being so uh, just getting into this, the, the whole theme of this 300th anniversary podcast. Thanks to all of you out there listening, and I want to thank our audio engineer, Austin Harris, for manning the control board today and making us sound better than we have any right to. Of course, our podcast producer, Jessica Ray, and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Thanks to everybody for joining us. And if you are wondering what time Motor Week, the television series, <laughs> can be seen on your local public television station, go to our website, motorweek.org. Click on the tab about the show, then stations listing, enter your zip code, and voila, you will get the dates and times in your area. Or hop over to our cable partner, MavTV.com, for their schedule. You can also stream MotorWeek episodes for free, folks, on your mobile device or streaming box by downloading the PBS Video app. It's available at your device's app store or streaming channel library. All of the individual road test and feature segments are also available along with our retro road test on youtube.com slash motorweek. In short, if you've got a screen, you can watch Motorweek. Till next time, I'm John Davis. For all of us here, thanks for being a part of Motorweek. You have been listening to the podcast of Motorweek, television's original automotive magazine. Motorweek is made possible by Lucas Oil, Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper, and TireRack.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motorweek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.